You are listening to Russia on the Record, the podcast of the Moscow Times. Until this year, Russia has had some of the world's most liberal abortion legislation, despite a powerful conservative lobby. But in recent months, several Russian regions, one after another, have pursued anti-abortion policies. From outlawing the so-called act of coercing women into having an abortion, which could also be interpreted as banning any information about safe abortion, to banning the procedure in a region's private clinics. For this episode, we spoke with Anna Efimova, a journalist and gender researcher, and Dariana Grasnova, a human rights defender and expert on gender violence, on the reasons behind these initiatives and the outlook for reproductive rights in Russia. Calls to limit abortion have been heard uh, from officials in Russia for quite a long time. But in the summer, the country restricted the sale of abortion drugs, while regional authorities started to introduce restrictions of inducing women to have an abortion. This month in Crimea and uh, the Kursk region, most private clinics decided to end abortion services. Uh, Why do you think such restrictions were introduced now? And what motivated private clinics to introduce these restrictions? restrictions. Anna, probably you would start. Yeah, sure. I believe there are a few reasons that we that to which we could refer these unfolding events unfolding in the past three months, actually. The first law was introduced in the Republic of Moldova back in August, and it was the first republic in Russia which which has ever uh, responded to the anti-abortion rhetoric of the Russian authority, which has been going on for, for quite a while, with some specific steps. And this is the law about the indictment of women to abortion. So basically, it it is supposed to prohibit, apparently, close relatives or doctors or probably even activists and people who are spreading information about alternative way to have a safe abortion. Basically, it's a fine, which is quite uh, significant, the amount of money which is supposed to pay is quite significant. But why these restrictions have started to be introduced right now, like maybe probably three months ago, there is a few reasons. First of all, the, the anti-abortion rhetoric is a very strong rhetorical tool which Russian authorities has been using for quite a while. And in terms of the presidential campaign, which has started to unfold in Russia, and the presidential elections, which are supposed to take place next spring, I guess, regional authorities are using this rhetorical tool show off themselves to the federal authorities on the one side, but on the other side, also a very strong mobilization on the ground. And by this mobilization, I mean different organizations and different funds, uh, which are usually sponsored by the state or by uh, some private entrepreneurships. And those are so-called researchers, call them uh, gender entrepreneurs, because they are basically capitalized on anti-abortion agenda, on the femininity agenda, if I can call it this way. So they're basically selling people the right way to be a woman in Russia. And one of those organizations, which is called Women for Life, is standing behind the introduction of the law which is prohibiting indictment to abortion in all regions where this law is currently is, is under consideration. So it's a Tambov region or other two regions which has already introduced this law, Mordovia and the Tver region. Uh, so there, as you can see, there are different movements in different directions. There's also movement from the top bottom and from the bottom up. So we cannot say that there's like a monolith construction in the power. There is a very homogeneous understanding 
understanding that abortion should be prohibited. They are different actors and they are uh, playing the ground in different ways and not because they are, I, I cannot say that they are not sincerely anxious about the demographic situation in Russia, but uh, we can clearly see that they have a lot of personal gains in terms of finance, in terms of social capital from playing in this anti-abortion rhetoric field. First of all, thank you for having me here. And I would like to add to what Anna has just said, that the situation uh, with human rights in Russia was getting worse, and the situation with women's reproductive rights was getting worse as well. As we can see, Russia's current approach to increase the birth rate by reducing the number of abortions, which, as we will discuss next, is a completely ineffective approach. And before we discuss the current rates, uh, trends, I would like to go back in time. Today, in Russia, termination of pregnancy at the request of a woman is performed up to 12 weeks. Uh, however, there are some social grounds uh, on which uh, pregnancy can be terminated up to 22 weeks. In 1996, this list of social grounds uh, consisted of 13 items. And, for example, this list included husband's death during pregnancy or if uh, a woman was unmarried or if uh, she divorced during pregnancy or, for example, if she has problems with housing or these uh, different uh, social grounds. However, in 2003, this list was reduced to four items. And uh, since 2012, only one item has remained uh, in this list, which is pregnancy as a result of rape. And as we know, it's very difficult in Russia to even initiate a criminal uh, case uh, of rape. Also, in 2011, several amendments were introduced to the legislation. And since 2011, after seeing a doctor, a woman must like kind of think over her decision to terminate the pregnancy, and for which she uh, is given a mandatory silence period. And depending on the stage of pregnancy, it can be from uh, 48 hours to seven days. And during this time, a woman has to see a counselor and has an ultrasound scan during which the woman is shown um, an image of embryo and uh, its heartbeat and uh, told about various stage of development of her unborn child. And uh, actually, it can be considered as reproductive violence. I would like to remind uh, that Russian authorities forget that a safe and legal abortion is a, a woman's right and it's a guarantee of her rights to equality, physical and mental health. And it's not what I've just come up with. This is an international standards and authorities always forget about that. And as we can see now, Anna has briefly mentioned this. Now we have these crazy ideas. For example, a few days ago, the head of uh, Russia's Orthodox Church supported regional laws prohibiting the inducement of women to have abortions and called for adoption of a similar law at the federal level. And also now there is this um, initiative to impose a federal ban, ban on abortion in private clinic. Yes, we can see that the situation with human rights was getting worse and the situation with women's reproductive rights was getting worse as well. And Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine was and is used as a pretense for restricting reproductive rights and growing control over women's sexuality. As an example, we can see these campaigns, anti-abortion campaigns with a military narrative for example, like this 
banners with the caption at the top, protect me today and I can protect you tomorrow on the photo of Embrya. And yeah, so the posters depict pregnant women or fighters and uh, next to them are soldiers or children in uniform. Anti-abortion um, initiatives uh, were introduced in several Russian regions. How would you explain that these very regions were the first to come up with those initiatives? As far as I understand, as far as my research goes, the these very regions, we are talking about eight Russian regions uh, plus Crimea, which, is, which has been annexated by Russia. So these very regions has introduced different variations of laws restricting safe and free access to abortion because because there was some activity on the ground going on between the regional authorities and the different organizations which are propagating anti-abortion rhetorics and and specific anti-abortion actions in, in these regions. So uh, there are those are different organizations like that. This is the, for instance, Women for Life, which I have already mentioned. There is also another one specific organization which is called Russian Unity, Ruska Edinstva, which is operating in Crimea. I'm not sure about Russian unity uh, from Crimea, but for instance, women for Russia are definitely getting presidential grants for their activities. So, and as far as I know, as uh, that's actually there have there was an investigation conducted by the Russian uh, feminist anti-war resistance, and they talked to people who are working in this organization, Women for Life, and they revealed that apparently the president of this organization, her name is Tatiana Moskvitina, she's uh, personally contacting the uh, the heads of these regions, like the regional authorities with a suggestion to cooperate with them uh, on the premise of anti-abortion campaign. Once they sign up uh, some sort of a cooperation agreement uh, between this organization and between these regions, uh, heads of these regions choose which specific projects within this agreement will be performed, will be realized on the ground in their in their respective territories. So, and the, all the regions which has introduced some restrictive measures uh, towards abortment in recent time, all of them came into agreement with the, this specific organization, with this organization, Women for Life. But basically, as I said, the heads of the regions decide whether they will prohibit the like indictment for of, for abortion. So these uh, three regions, which which we have talked about, are about to introduce this law or have already introduced it. And uh, other regions, about six or five, uh, I'm not counting Crimea as well, but we should keep it in mind that Crimea was one of the first regions which responded to this agenda. These regions are doing some sort of negotiations with private clinics which are licensed to provide abortion uh, procedures. Mostly it's invasive abortion or medical abortion, uh, medical abortion, uh, like a pill abortion, where you can just take a pill and that's it. Uh, so and they are working on with these private clinics, which are licensed for these activities, to make them refuse to uh, provide these services uh, to women in their regions. And try to add on this... Uh, uh, on 
I think uh, Anna has provided um, a good overview. I just would like to add that uh, this, uh, the Women for Life Foundation started as a grassroots movement a few years ago, and now it is a big organization that uh, has a lot of government support and receives millions from their budget. Uh, the president uh, of uh, this foundation, she calls abortion evil and believes that it should be banned at the legislative level and um, also she actively supports the war in Ukraine. So basically only proves the point that this restriction on reproductive rights of women is closely connected with military narrative and uh, uh, indeed as a part of her project work several agreements um, were signed with Russian regions to combat abortion and anti-abortion information campaigns and uh, regulations for communicating with women at pre-abortion consultations were developed. And also she claims that uh, this law in Mordovia uh, was actually uh, her initiative and success of her project. And the idea of private clinics refusing to perform abortions, at least I, I read this in the research by uh, feminist anti-war resistance, which Anna has already mentioned. They uh, managed to speak with uh, directors of uh, several private clinics, and uh, they said that they were threatened by authorities that uh, state funding will be limited if they don't uh, give up performing abortions. So <laughs> there is this rhetoric from the government and uh, we cannot be sure that the private clinics are so strongly support uh, this anti-abortion initiative. Just, they just have to uh, comply. If you don't mind, I would like to add a couple of words to what Joriana just said, because it reminded me of a very important point here. So Joriana mentioned uh, about the pressure which regional authorities are directing towards private clinics. And the problem with that, not only they may have specific instruments to deprive these clinics of finance or the right to work in these regions, but there's also another aspect to that, which is related to uh, another law, to this recent regional law on, about the indictment of women to abortion. Because the way this law is written, I'm not an expert here, so Doriana probably will be able to provide a more profound perspective of that. But based on my reading and based on my communication about this issue with uh, other gender researchers, our understanding is that in this regional law on indictment of uh, women to abortion is also aimed, mostly aimed at uh, restricting different information about abortion, information which opposes the uh, governmental rhetorics and anti-abortion rhetorics. So basically, if you are an activist or if you are even content manager of a private uh, abortion clinic in some Russian region and you are publishing information on your uh, on your social media or on your online sources about uh, abortion, which is uh, safe under specific uh, under specific circumstances, which is about the ways it can be provided, that there is nothing bad in uh, deciding to get rid of a fetus if you are not able to uh, give a birth to a child at this point of your life. So this can be a ground to be fined by uh, under this law. This may be additional point of pressure to these uh, private clinics because if they, for some reason, refuse to voluntarily refuse perform uh, abortion uh, right now. If this particular region introduce a law about the indictment of women to abortion, 
then these clinics basically will not be able to uh, to spread the word about their services, about their abortive services, if, if you understand what I mean. So because any information about abortion on their website would be considered an enticement of, of, of a women to abortion. So that's another point of pressure. So there is like kind of like a trading game at the moment. If you are not refusing to succumb to our suggestions to refuse perform abortions right now, uh, you can you there is a chance we may introduce another law, this indictment law, which within which we will be able to prosecute you, and the consequences for you as a business will be much harsher than than if you just succumb to our uh, suggestion now. That was my point. Maybe Jariana has something uh, to add on that. Thanks, Anna. Private clinics are indeed under quite big pressure and um, advertising of uh, abortion services has already been um, prohibited since 2013, if I'm not mistaken. So it's um, the amendment to the uh, federal legislation. And this law is similar to LGBT propaganda. So we don't know still what constitutes this um, LGBTQ plus propaganda. And that's why nobody will know what this inducement actually means. And uh, you are 100% right that this uh, law uh, can be potentially used as a tool to target women's rights uh, defenders and uh, clinics, because even information about various options and about safe abortion can be considered as an offense. We have been talking about uh, the ban, uh, the refusal, uh, the abortions in private clinics, uh, though it's still available in state clinics. Uh, well, on uh, cause for concern about abortion restrictions, then uh, if it is still available, I mean, uh, there is no total ban uh, yeah, about it. I'm happy to jump in. So first of all, private clinics account around 20% of abortion cases. I wouldn't say that if this uh, ban becomes at the federal level, abortions will be easily available in state clinics because there are ways to make access to termination of pregnancy more difficult, uh, even complying with the law. So we know that uh, state clinics uh, sometimes can be harsh uh, on women and they tend to delay the time in every possible way to send a woman for optional tests uh, or tests in a certain laboratory uh, to a priest even to refer to the days of silence and, um, and in general impose psychological pressure. I would highlight that Abortion is considered a safe medical procedure if it is performed uh, appropriately and effectively. Unfortunately, in state clinics, uh, 75% of um, abortions are performed by a surgical method, which is considered by the World uh, Health Organization is um, uh, traumatizing painful and traumatizing, not only for uh, the body of a woman, but also for a woman's psychological condition. And uh, when it comes to private clinics, of course, they use more modern tools of abortion, like medical abortion. 
So I wanted to uh, jump in with the two, probably two points. There is a major cause for concern about abortion restrictions in Russia because apparently those attempt to make private clinics to refuse abortion services to women is just another attempt by Russian government to uh, sort of make all abortions which are going on in the country controllable by the government. So in terms of statistics, for instance, all these abortions which are women are about to make, which we are willing that they are willing to perform, they all will they will go to the they all will be included into the uh, governmental statistics. And this is the first aspect to that. The second aspect is that women, instead of going to the private clinics, they women will have to uh, go to state clinics where there will be harshly pressured into giving birth under like any circumstances. There are specific procedures established in state clinics which are aimed at changing women's mind about abortion, so, such as uh, door abortion consulting, where basically there is either a doctor or a, a therapist or a psychologist talking to a woman and explaining her the benefits of giving birth. Uh, there is no really concern about uh, women's well-being, her uh, whether giving birth will will be beneficial for her life, if she can even handle it at this point of her life, like in terms of finance, in terms of her mental health. So the single aim here is to make women give birth. That's the pro probably one of the biggest dangers, one of the biggest disadvantages of these current restrictions in Russia, that they are uh, all about making abortion, that they are all about taking control over uh, women's reproductive health and their reproductive functions. Yeah, that, that's that's one point. And my second point was about the medical abortion. As Dariana mentioned, state hospitals mostly use invasive abortion. So they, basically, that's, that's a procedure which is very unsafe. Most abortions in Russia in recent years have been performed by medica medication means. So basically, you go to a private clinic, you pay money for, for examination, then you get a pill, a set of pills, which you have to take, and then abortion is done as a result of, uh, of this. And this summer, there was another wave on uh, attacks on abortion rights of women in Russia uh, when authorities basically um, introduced new laws prohibiting free trade of this uh, medication pill. They were not available without prescriptions before that, but the government has uh, prepared certain amendments to the list of these controlled drugs, and now these controlled drugs are all falling under the control of the Ministry of Health. So basically, they have been uh, included in the list of psychiatric pills, I think. So basically, they were... Now they're under Russian law, they're considered, considered as drugs. They cannot be traded in pharmacies or in uh, in private clinics without states, uh, states' involvement into this situation. So basically, every time a pharmacy or a private clinic, when every time they sell, pills for medication abortion, they have to tell the government about that. They have to uh, fill in certain forms and send them to regional uh, medical authorities and state will collect all this information, which is, it, it, it probably, uh, from the outside, it doesn't look that scary. It, it, it even make may make sense, but in the current situation, the current context in Russia, in the in this increasingly militarized environment, which Dariana has already 
uh, expanded on all these small steps towards the increased in restriction of access to, to free and safe abortion in Russia. They are not banning the access to abortion per se, but they are creating an environment where access to abortion is becoming unavailable to most women. It may seem as a very soft and soft political game, but it is it is there. And unfortunately, it's not like we can do something about it. What is the situation with the abortion rate in Russia in general? Are there any statistics on how many abortions are performed and whether the number has increased or decreased in recent months and years? Uh, where does Russia rank compared to other countries? Because Russian authorities say that many women in Russia choose to get an abortion. Current Russia's approach is to increase the birth rate by reducing the number of abortions, which is a completely uh, ineffective approach. If we have a look at statistics, we will see that over 20 years, the number of abortions in Russia has decreased almost fourfold. So in 2000, there were around 2 million abortions. And in 2020, there were around 500,000 abortions. However, according to the statistics, in 2023, Russia recorded a record drop in the birth rate. So there were like around 200,000 uh, children uh, born between January and June, so the first half uh, of the year. And this figure was lower only in 1999. So we can see that fewer abortions uh, do not mean more children. While the number of abortions uh, has been decreasing, uh, the number of children uh, born uh, didn't change that much over the years. And uh, even state-sponsored polls demonstrate that women refuse to have children in the next years due to unsatisfactory financial and housing conditions or because of instability and political situation in the country. So we can see that this logic, let's prohibit all uh, abortions, will not result in uh, increase of the birth rate. And also it's important to add that these measures, restrictive and uh, humiliating measures, they hugely impact those uh, women who are the most vulnerable, uh, who cannot go to, for example, a different region to perform an abortion or to a different country to perform an abortion, or uh, who financially struggle or face domestic violence uh, or any other types of violence. So this initiative is stupid. I mean, it's not confirmed either by studies or history. I just wanted to uh, add that uh, Russia is still one of a few countries in the world which has its own abortion statistics. This was one of the signatures of how liberal abortion legislation is in Russia has been so far. So I'm not talking about the last three months now because we clearly see that there was an opposite trend. And one of the signs of this opposite trend is that the access to demographic statistics in Russia has been recently restricted. So it's not open access anymore. The problem is, as Doriana has, has mentioned, if we decrease the number of abortions in Russia, there will be no 
increase in number of of births so it's not confirmed by the by the studies by it's actually a very common point in any demographic study which is done in Russia if you like open the very first uh, article on on this matter you will see this is the major point which people uh, which um, academic people demographers have been trying to advocate for but apparently it doesn't reach or maybe just doesn't make sense for Russian authorities because if we have a look at the recent indictment laws, which have we, we already talked a lot about, there is a specific set of documents which should which is elaborating on the reasons why this law should be introduced, and this set of documents is sent to regional uh, legislative bodies, which are supposed to either accept it or deny it. But there are three, two regions where they have been accepted, and one region which is apparently too about to accept this law and to introduce it. So, and in this set of documents there is a very interesting one which is called an explanatory note which is basically uh, seven seven pages of different arguments for the introduction of uh, abortion restrictive measures in Russia and the most interesting part about this document is that it uses the outdated like the most outdated statistics about abortion rate in Russia so the very first paragraph of this explanatory note goes that according to the United Nations statistics, according to their data, Russia is the leading country in the world in terms of the number of abortions conducted. But this is so not true. This is absolutely false. This used to be true 20 years ago. That yes, when when we were in the kind of when Russia was kind of in the middle of you know this shifting demographic paradigms. But now it's absolutely not true. But we are talking about the document this explanatory note and these uh, laws which have been introduced in the past three months. So in people who are, there is like, I have my own uh, hypothesis and ideas about who was writing this the text of these laws and these explanatory notes, but it's not the point here now. The point is that the current authorities are using, they're basically manipulating numbers. And the saddest part about that, which makes me so extremely upset, is that it's probably not, they are not manipulating it out of uh, an evil will, for instance. They're just, they just don't care about what is going on. They are just basically taking different facts, different uh, statistics and numbers to make their point and they don't go any deeper. So there is no analysis of situation. Of course, as I said, we cannot uh, say that Russian authorities is a homogeneous construction and that everyone there, every single um, politician or lawyer, etc., is in favor of abortion restriction. Because it's not true, there are people who are actually against it. But the current trend is that the force behind restriction of abortion is dominating. And it is dominating also because of its rhetorical and discursive tools, which are based on manipulation of statistics and different arguments. This outdated UN statistics, which I have just talked about, is just one of a few examples. You have just to look through this document to understand that it's completely bullshit. I'm sorry for, for, for the language. And also, I would like to respond to Jariana's point about less abortions doesn't mean more children. There is a certain extent of Soviet legacy in that, in, in the thinking of current authorities, that they can uh, control 
the population uh, rate, the birth rate, by changing the legislation which prohibits abortion, restricts access to abortion. Because in the Soviet times, when abortion was prohibited in the 1936, during the so-called Stalin's conservative turn, Yes, and I would like to mention that before it was authorized that Soviet Russia and Soviet Union was one of the rare countries in the world where abortions were legal in the beginning of 20th century. Exactly. And moreover, it was the first and the only country in the world which authorized uh, abortions, which legalized free abortion at the, at the request of a woman. But then Soviet governments faced certain problems, uh, like a demographic growth and uh, the growing number of illegal abortions, which were extremely detrimental for women's health. As a result of illegal abortions, women were deprived of fertility, and it also was detrimental for demographic growth. But women uh, had to refer to illegal abortions even when abortions per se were allowed in Russia, not because they didn't trust the doctors or hospitals, but also because of the generally very low level of sexual education and access to medical institutions, basically, because uh, Soviet authorities, if you look at the uh, chronology, look at the dates, so Soviet authorities permitted abortions in 1920. And by 1924, they have assembled their first statistics. And they were shocked because their basic hypothesis about birth rate, that women will give more birth if their well-being uh, increases, if their conditions of life, material conditions of life are becoming better, their basic assumption was false because women were refusing to give birth. They were making a lot of abortions back then. And then, merely in four years after the legalization of abortion, they started to restrict it uh, very mildly, but... In the course of almost 10 years, it led to the total criminalization of abortion. So you, you see that the problem is that there was no decommunization in, in, in the Russian Federation. There are still a lot of people, very Soviet people, who were brought up in the Soviet Union and they are kind of, you know, this Soviet morality and, uh, I don't know, whatever comes with their... Uh, Sovietness is engraved in their minds, and they are just—they are just basically imposing their outdated ideas on current Russian society, which is very diverse, pluralistic in terms of how they what they think about government, do they trust it or not. But the reproduction statistics shows that when it comes to reproduction, contraception, and abortion and birth birth giving, uh, Russian women are very much conscious of what they are doing. But as Dariana mentioned, because of the war, because of the current militarized environment, this rhetorics is very much instrumentalized and yeah, we will, we will. We just have to see where it goes at this point. And we can already see the results of these campaigns. So, for example, uh, the level of teenage pregnancy in Russia is high, high compared uh, to other countries. 11,000 children a year are born to girls under 18 in Russia. 
and more than 3,000 minors have abortions every year. It means that we have uh, 14,000 pregnancies per year in Russia. And sex education could help teenagers understand uh, sexual safety, but authorities believe it corrupts children. And we can see that the highest birth rates among minors are in Tiva, Transbaikal territory, and the Jewish autonomous region. And these are regions that share a low standard of living and low urbanization. They have a high proportion of financially struggling families with children, a high crime rate, uh, problems with uh, alcohol and drugs. And uh, teenagers still lack information about uh, sexual safety and health. And uh, internet cannot provide all the answers, especially if you don't know what to look for. And uh, Russian authorities believe that the sexual education of a child is his or her parents' business. But as uh, Anna just mentioned, previous generations never had access to proper sex education themselves. And um, of course, the family does play uh, a major role. And uh, there are studies which confirm that children who develop uh, trusting relationships with their parents are more likely to be sexually active later and less likely to experience early pregnancy. But we have to face the reality. Uh, Many families in Russia struggle financially, divorce uh, or single parent families, and uh, it increases risks of children, especially uh, girls. Of course, sometimes teachers can explain something, but it, it depends on a particular teacher. And um, an important part of sex education is not only to talk about uh, sex life uh, or contraceptives or other things, but also about the ability to say no. So the concept to introduce uh, children to the concept of uh, consent, to recognize violence against uh, oneself and to respect other people's boundaries. And this is a huge problem that we don't have uh, sex education in uh, in Russia. And so, yeah, uh, I think my point just um, conclude what Anna uh, has just said. You mentioned there is a problem with sexual education in Russia. Is it a state strategy not to introduce any information on contraceptives or in abortions and unwanted pregnancy? And Yes, it is a strategy of Russia not to uh, include sex education uh, in the curriculum. The reason why is because authorities think that it will corrupt children. And uh, I do not understand the logic behind this. So there are many studies which confirm that sex education leads to um, later sexual activity and uh, healthy uh, relationships uh, with oneself and other people. But yeah, we are here where we are and uh, nothing is going to change in the nearest future. Unfortunately, authorities think that if nobody tells teenagers about sex, they won't engage in sexual activity. But it's not true. The problem is that children will uh, engage in sexual activity, but it will be unsafe sexual activity, which will lead to unwanted pregnancies and diseases transmitted by sex. And uh, nothing good uh, will come up out of it.
as we can already see by this uh, 14,000 of pregnancies per year. And also, if uh, parents are uh, affected by this conservative rhetoric, they can force their daughters to give birth to, to these uh, unwanted children. And that's, that's horrible. Sexual education, not only at schools, even before that, is the must, and we don't have it in Russia. We also hear quite often uh, Russian patriarch Cyril talking about abortions and uh, calling. Uh, yeah, like uh, recently he's been calling uh, all the private clinics to ban the abortions. Uh, in your opinion, what's uh, the role of the Russian Orthodox Church in the lobby of anti abortion initiatives? So many critics of, of the current situation agree on uh, the quite high role uh, of Russian Orthodox Church in lobbying the anti-abortion legislation and in they basically instrumentalizing anti-abortion rhetorics to show off their affiliation, their devotion to the state politics, their devotion to the federal authorities. So uh, the point here is that uh, we should not talk about Russian Orthodox Church, I believe. We should not talk about them as a force, which is uh, as an institution which is sincerely caring about the souls of Russian people. They are sincerely caring about being a part of the state. This is the state Institute. If you look at the history of the Russian Orthodox Church after the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the way it has been established and the way it was fighting for influence uh, in uh, the newly independent states, you will clearly see my point. So, unfortunately, uh, whenever uh, the patriarch or any other church employer, I mean the institutional employer, is saying something approvable, favorable. When they're saying something in favor of abortion, we have to remember that they are basically state officials. As some, Do not treat their statements, their anti-abortion statements, as something unusual or contradicting to what uh, church would say. That's, that's the way it works in Russia. I agree with Anna that Russian Orthodox Church and uh, Russian government, they are intertwined. For example, recently there was an article that Putin said no to the law against domestic violence, uh, this uh, poor draft suggested by the parliament. Um, I said no to this draft uh, because of lobby from the Russian Orthodox Church. So yeah, we can see that the church plays uh, a huge role in this, especially given that um, over the last uh, several years we have this increasing rhetoric of uh, so-called uh, traditional and family values. Uh, speaking about Russian society and Russian civil society, uh, does it support, uh, does the public support such initiatives? And what about feminist movement? Should we expect resistance and protests? So we have two sides. On the one side, we have uh, women who uh, support anti-abortion initiatives. And for me, it's like, bees fighting against honey. So I don't understand how uh, women can 
I mean, I can understand, but for me, it's still um, difficult to accept that some uh, women can can fight against women's rights. And uh, there are many uh, women and men um, who support this narrative. And I know that the Russian Orthodox Church, they launched uh, petitions against uh, abortions and there were like several campaigns. And I think they introduced this initiative to if a, if a woman is married, she should she has to ask permission from her husband to perform abortion and the other weird initiatives. On the other hand, we have um, feminist movements and uh, women's rights uh, defenders. And um, these movements are strong, but unfortunately, uh, many of them are in uh, exile because uh, Russian authorities support this conservative nar- narrative and intimidate and uh, persecute this um, pro uh, women's rights initiatives. And uh, for example, Mm, uh, feminist anti-war resistance. They launched a petition uh, to support uh, women's rights to uh, abortion, and I think it was signed by more than uh, fifty thousand people. So, which is quite quite good. And uh, in general, I think in Russia, civil society is the only source of. So, ideally, authorities should provide sex education to uh, like children and uh, in general about like uh, women's rights. Uh, but uh, in current Russia, civil society uh, is doing this. And um, although, as I said, um, the context and the atmosphere in which the civil society uh, has to do that is, is, is repressive. Um, yeah, I think I have just a couple of two short uh, comments as well. One of the political science experts that I told you uh, about uh, for my article about these current trends recently, so he mentioned that the the reason why government is refusing to uh, introduce a federal ban on abortion, you know, like that, just like that, the federal ban of abortion, the reason why they are trying to do a similar thing in essence but uh, using uh, different tools for that, these regional laws, these uh, regional prohibitions, this lobbying in the private medical sphere. The reason is that they are basically afraid that before that before the presidential campaign and the presidential elections next year, a total ban of abortion in Russia may cause a discontent and concern of many Russian people. It's difficult to say whether it would cause a protest activity or not. I, I don't think it's a place to talk about this now. But uh, there is such concern among the uh, higher echelons of power in Russia that total ban of abortion would, would not be a good thing to put in place uh, before the presidential campaign, because uh, especially on the federal level, because Putin is, uh, is the face of a federal power. And Putin is supposed to look good, and uh, in the eyes of Russian uh, of Russian people who are who are who can participate, who can vote in elections. So that's something that federal authorities are trying to avoid. That's actually one of the reasons why they are basically putting this burden of 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 introducing different abort- abortion restrictions on regional authorities, because they still want Putin to look good. 
But if you want to make Putin look good in the eyes of Russian uh, Russian citizens, you have to force uh, regional authorities to do some dirty job. That's what they did during the pandemics when all the restrictions related to COVID-19 were introduced on regional levels in Russia. So every region was deciding what to do with these restrictions, either to introduce masks or not, etc. So basically, something similar is happening now but to uh, abortion restrictions. And as Duryana has mentioned, traditionalization of, of society, of values, which is going on in Russia, which is very present in the governmental rhetorics, unfortunately, it's typical and has been typical for states in such circumstances, in, uh, in the military circumstances, in the circumstances of increasing social inequality and economic inequality. So... That's a very old instrument that different powers has been feeding to their people for centuries, and Russia is no different to them in this regard. Yeah, there is uh, a growing concern about these measures, but there's also a lot of pressure which are uh, authorities exhibiting on, on people, on regional powers. So yeah, we just have to see what's, what's going to happen next. I work on the problem of gender-based violence against women, and uh, I can see how uh, women in Russia are generally unprotected. And uh, when we're talking about domestic violence, sexual violence, other form of violence, how political crisis and financial crisis firstly affect them. And uh, we see that these initiatives, they further aimed to affect, uh, they will affect women first. And uh, it saddens me that, uh, unfortunately, women in Russia are treated as piece of meat, just uh, who have to uh, produce more meat for military. I know it sounds harsh, but um, I think that's a logical conclusion of our discussion, how these uh, restrictions on reproductive rights have been increasing and how this uh, military narrative is intertwined with a restriction of uh, women's reproductive rights. That's all for this episode. Make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform and on the social media of the Moscow Times. Thank you for listening to Russia on the Record.